catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. This is a podcast from Minute Media. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where if you were wondering how the Lakers like their pancakes, well, wonder no more because they like them flat. Flat earth to be exact. Flat earth pancakes. I'm not sure if there's another way to make pancakes, but you know what? Hashtag dare to be different, Kyrie Irving. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, Day two of NBA free agency. But first, Tommy, big question for you surrounding a strange, very strange trade out of Utah. And my question is, what are the Jazz doing? (laughs) You may wonder, what are they doing? Danny Ainge. (laughs) did something once and so what are the jets doing now it's just so strange don't you think ask yourself this (laughs) danny ainge walks into a bar and says i'd like first round picks ask yourself this that's all i got <laughs> well, this is what ha- this is what this is what happened in Utah. They apparently got like six first rounders uh from the Minnesota Timberwolves, all raw dog unprotected first rounders um <laughs> by giving up Rudy Gobert. So, that is the strange things that were happening in Utah. So, case closed. We did it. Free Adnan Syed. Um anyways, <laughs> We're here, day two of NBA Free Agency. We're mainly going to be talking about Kyrie Irving and the trade discussion surrounding him today, and also some Thomas Bryant, and give some updated thoughts on um, the free agents that we signed yesterday, now that we've gotten the chance to review the tape, review the film room, aka YouTube highlights. Um, Before we do that, though, have a favor to ask you guys. Um, If you would be so kind as to please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, and leave a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. If you don't use the Apple Podcast app, you can actually also rate us five stars on Spotify. I think this is a new feature in the last year or so. So rate us five stars on Spotify. We would really appreciate that. We've been pumping out the off-season content like crazy, doing two a weeks, and I'm still potting through COVID. So any show of support, we'd be very grateful for. So with that said, Tommy, let's get into some updated free agency tidbits that we learned over last night's um, news cycle. So we learned that the Lakers actually offered Malik Monk the taxpayer mid-level. We're not sure if it's one year or two years or whatever, but Monk inevitably decided to turn that down and go to the Sacramento Kings for their offer of two years, $20 million. Now, do you have any thoughts on this? I, I, I can't fault a guy like Malik Monk, regardless of what he was saying about taking less to play for the Lakers. I can't fault him for taking more money, especially at his age. And I do think that it was a hard decision for him. And if De'Aaron Fox was not on the Kings, I, don't, I think he actually, we would have had a better shot of retaining him. What are your thoughts? I think we probably, yeah, if if De'Aaron Fox wasn't there, we probably would have had a better chance. I mean, maybe it was like the case earlier 
I say earlier in free agency, but of course, like all the stuff happens before free agency, like actually starts. Right. But maybe earlier in his sort of process here, like the early indications were, you know, most, he was mostly getting taxpayer MLE offers and, um, maybe there were a few teams that maybe weren't good fits that he thought he might get the, you know, 10 million or or more kind of offer, and then once maybe maybe the Kings came in later in the game and you know suggested that uh, suggested that they are going to pay him more and and he has the connection to De'Aaron and you know yeah I, I guess I could see why he did it it's it's interesting now because since the Kings have made a subsequent trade it's like Monk is truly going to be like a their sixth man um, mm-hmm. you figure they're going to be starting Kevin Herter um, but yeah I mean I was. The thing I took away from that was I was happy we made the offer because I think given this free agent class and who we ultimately end up, ended up getting, I thought that, you know, that it would have been negligent to not at least make the offer. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, we wish Monk the best. And, yeah, I don't think anybody should be personally holding him to his words of, like, I'd rather take less to be with the Lakers because I'm sure it was a tough decision. And De'Aaron Fox probably ended up pushing it over the edge outside of the fact that he's getting paid $4 million more per year. Anyways, um, the other tidbit that we got was, and this was more from this morning, but Lonnie Walker apparently asked to be let out of his qualifying offer of $6.5 million um, because he told the Spurs that he thinks he'll be able to get more lucrative offers uh, on the market. He didn't end up getting more lucrative offers, but the Lakers ended up paying him that exact amount, $6.5 million, which is the taxpayer mid-level. And I'm kind of... And again, this is super presumptuous on my part, but I'm kind of led to believe that the Lakers kind of helped Clutch and Lonnie Walker save face here. Um, And maybe he got let out knowing that the Lakers would give him the 6.5, but if we had any questions as to why the Lakers didn't leave any gap room in their mid-level to use on another player or to use on signing Max Christie to more than a two-year rookie-scale deal, I think this is why, because... Since Lonnie Walker got let out of his qualifying offer of 6.5, which he could have just taken with the Spurs, right? I feel like the Lakers almost had to feel like they had to make Lonnie Walker whole. I don't know how I feel about that necessarily. It kind of, it's kind of silly. But again, this goes back to like the cost of doing business with Clutch. And again, I'm not saying that like I'm crying about this Lonnie Walker signing, but it's just, I guess it's the cost of doing business with Clutch. And it kind of impedes you from doing, you know, a little more creative things on the edges that you may have been able to do otherwise if this guy if you weren't so bound to that obviously there are benefits to having this relationship with clutch especially when you have a gm like rob palenka who people don't want to work with but do you have any thoughts on the lonnie walker thing and the qualifying offer getting paid the full mle because kendrick nunn last year is and what was and is a better prospect than lonnie walker and the lakers were able to give him $5 $5 million, which wasn't even the full MLE amount, and then gave him two years on top of that with a player option the second year. So it's just weird to me that a lesser prospect between or amongst Monk and Nunn just gets this full $6.5 million and we're not able to make any concessions on the side or anything like that. But again, I don't want to make it about Lonnie Walker, but do you have any thoughts? I mean, given the timing, I strongly suspect that you know, his options were affected because he got the qualifying offer, right? So that means he was guaranteed to, at minimum, get $6.5 million from the Spurs, unless they rescinded it later, right? So yeah. he had that offer. I'm sure the Spurs would have, you know, held their word. But Clutch is so deeply ingrained with what we are trying to do and are always, you know, the roster moves we, that we try to make. So... Maybe it just became clear in the hours leading up to free agency that we weren't going to get the guys that we were thinking we might be able to get with the taxpayer mid-level. And, you know, rather than just waste another year in San Anto- in San Antonio while they're going through a rebuild, he asked out. I, I mean, the fact that the the amounts are the same is less interesting to me than the fact that he allegedly told them that he thought he could get bigger offers and then 30 minutes after free agency signed you know started signed his 6 million 6.5 million dollar deal so i think like to the extent that was actually true that he said i think i can get more than 6.5 you know and i'll have a better market as a totally unrestricted free agent i think that was probably a lie and i think they just wanted to you know get him out of san antonio which is probably fair um yeah but yeah 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think my biggest takeaway out of free agency or having done this uh, rodeo the last few years is I just wish Clutch would have more 6'9 clients <laughs> so that I yeah. can be like, yeah, just default sign that guy. He's 6'9. That'll work. But every every year, it seems like we just by default have to sign a Clutch client, but they're all somehow like 6'5. Like, try, try five. <laughs> try f- sign five Clutch clients every offseason. I know. Exactly. Jeez, was that how many we signed already? Like three we at signed, least, right? We, we signed four yesterday. Or I guess Damian Jones was not, right? Yeah, so three so far. Three so far. I think out of the 12 guys we have on the roster, seven are clutch clients. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. Um, and, and so far, at the time of this recording, we don't have any idea. So Otto Porter signed with the Toronto Raptors for two years with a player option the second year. We're not sure if that's the full MLE or if it's the taxpayer mid-level. I'd be interested to see if it's the taxpayer mid-level and why we didn't push harder for Otto Porter, if that's the case. Even with all of the co- the con- solidate, or even with all the concessions and reservations with regards to Otto Porter's um, durability throughout a season, I think you still take that shot for the size and the need uh, and the shooting. But yeah, we'll we'll see what he's actually going to make. And then I'm still interested in seeing what Jalen Smith ends up getting on the open market. He's still currently flying out there. Um, if he ends up getting the tax payment level or even less, I'd also be interested in seeing why we didn't go for him instead of Lonnie Walker. At this point, I, I wish Jalen Smith was clutch. Otherwise, we probably would have already signed him. Um, and then the other interesting like parallel case is Bruce Brown Jr., who got the tax pyramid level for two years. And I actually forgot who he signed with. Do you remember? Uh, Denver? Yes, he signed with Denver. So, so yeah. I mean, there's an argument to be made that Lonnie Walker is still the better signing there, but it's just interesting given the fact that Bruce Brown has a definable skill and Lonnie Walker is still unproven, especially as it pertains to the playoffs, and his definable skill is just being really athletic and dunking. So, again... I like the upside. He's a fun player, but looking at the grand landscape of free agency, it's still fair to wonder why we didn't go for some of these other guys. Um, anything else to say about on that end? Uh, no, nothing else from me. Okay, so let's move on to, we'll get to Kyrie Irving in the second segment, but there are rumors that the Lakers are probably strongly tied to bringing former ex-Laker Thomas Bryant back. And you gave us the insider info a couple podcasts back that he has a house in Woodland Hills um, from your sunset, selling sunset viewings. His uh, agent is Chriselle. I'm almost inclined to believe that we've got a pretty good shot at bringing him back. And we'll just asterisk this here and say Thomas Bryan is a is a Laker, especially because his only contending suitor was the Celtics and the Celtics have since traded for Malcolm Brogdon, and also signed Danilo Gallinari to the MLE. But what are your thoughts on bringing Thomas Bryant back? He's only 24 years old still, uh, 6'10", maybe more 6'9", but he does have a 7'6 wingspan, which allows him to play like a legitimate big. He is a spacing big, although this past year when he returned from injury, he only played 27 games, returning from his torn ACL. He only shot a career-low what did he shoot from three? Career low, 28% from three. Although the season prior, before tearing his ACL, he shot 43% from three, hitting one a game. And then the season before that, he shot 40%, hitting 0.8 a game. Yeah, what are your thoughts on bringing Thomas Bryant back? I think if this was like bringing him back at the mid-level or a portion of the mid-level, I wouldn't have liked the risk because I think there are veterans out there who can approximate what Thomas Bryant does, like DeMarcus Cousins or Serge Ibaka, who you could probably get on the vet minimum. But because it's the vet minimum, it to me, it's like a no-risk, high-reward sort of gamble. And I do want to make it clear that there's a reason why the Wizards are just letting him walk. I actually listened to a couple of Wizards off-season podcasts and read some articles, watched some tape on Thomas Bryant and I guess this is all part of the process, rehabbing from an ACL injury, but yeah. he is very slow-footed now, even more so than he was before. So if you're thinking he's going to be guarding the perimeter or being this rabid, active, defensive force, 
I'd be very dubious about that, although you could probably say by September he should be more well-recovered, may gain some of his speed and athleticism back. Um, he's also, he was also getting bullied down low a lot of the times last season in the 27 games he played. He still does have that long-ass wingspan, and he probably is still a very good you know, help defender at times, but I'm just not sure if you can rely on him to be an actual rim protector force. Presumably what you'd want Thomas Bryant for is having that sort of change of pace running back, or in this case, change of pace center besides Damian Jones, where you can sort of spread the floor. And I will say the benefits with Thomas Bryant and something that he hasn't lost is he's always had a really good motor. So I think you can count on that, that he'll hustle, he'll fight for rebounds. I'm just not sure if he... I don't think he was disciplined before this defensively, but now even more so now that he's lost a step and is even more slow-footed than he was before, I think we should temper our expectations on what he can actually do on the defensive end, even though I think Ham can put him in the right positions on defense to succeed and actually utilize his long-ass seven-foot-six wingspan and arms because in their defensive schemes with the Bucks, you know, it was essential that the bigs when they played drop coverage and were down low defending the paint, that they were also supposed to be very aware of like off-ball cutters and using their their arms and length to actually you know cut off passing lanes and whatnot. So I think and I hope Thomas Bryant can at least do that. But what are your thoughts on potentially bringing back Thomas Bryant? So I was really bummed when we got rid of Thomas Bryant at the time. I was like pretty high on him, you know, when we had him around uh, his rookie year. And I understand at the time, like we had just, you know, Zoo was still part of our plans. We had just spent a first rounder on Mo Wagner and we couldn't carry like a bunch of center, you know, like no team is trying to carry three centers nowadays, like three true centers, um, certainly. So we had to make the, the sort of hard cut there with Thomas Bryant. I, you know, followed him in the beginning of his time with the Wizards and it seemed like he was developing exactly the way that I would have liked and when things went south for us, frankly, that year it was like, oh, Thomas Bryan wouldn't be helpful right now. Um, the ACL injury was brutal, uh, you know, especially for him because his game is like so kind of dependent on mm-hmm. um, athleticism and and, and he carries a lot of weight. Um, he carries a, a lot of weight. Um, you know, he's got the good length, but he's like a hustle player, right? Like he's not the most skilled player. And so when you take away a little bit of that explosiveness, it, it does hurt him. I, I do wonder how much of last season was just the rehab. Like you mentioned, like for a lot of players, let alone a young guy who hasn't really earned his spot in the NBA, it's tough to come back from that kind of injury. And typically the second year after the recovery year is, you know, you start, you start to see the guy getting back closer to his form. So I, I mean, is it worth a, a flyer on, on our roster? I'd say probably, um, you know, if you can even get him for non, I don't know that he would sign a non-guaranteed deal, but that would even be better and, you know, make him compete maybe against some other big men in, in training camp. Um, but, you know, I like him as a prospect. He's young. He fits the sort of mold of what we seems like we're trying to do with these other signings. He can run. He can protect the rim. He can shoot a three. Um, all of these things just have to be substantially refined, right? And it's like kind of the problem that we have with a lot of our other guys is we don't really have any sure things in this group. Like it's a lot of things have to hit right for this to work, which they might, um, but that's the one thing I worry about with him. Now, can I ask you, would you rather have Thomas Bryant or would you think about bringing a guy who's similar in skill set as him, but slightly older, which at this point, it doesn't hurt to finally have an adult in the room now that the Lakers have a bunch of under 30-year-olds, and I think it's just LeBron, and is that it for 30-year-olds on this roster currently? LeBron, LeBron and Westbrook, and right? But I mean, yeah. so yeah, uh, if, if it came down to Thomas Bryant or DeMarcus Cousins, what do you think about that? Because I actually think if this is just like a one-year deal in a vacuum... I have an argument for DeMarcus Cousins just being the better player outside of one being proven and outs- and two actually being more durable last season because he surprisingly played more games than Thomas Bryan, I believe. 
and also played in the playoffs. Yeah, he played 48 games between the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, the Denver Nuggets. And obviously he has history and experience with Darvin Ham. Darvin Ham saw what he could do uh, in his short stint with the Milwaukee Bucks where he had 22 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. 18 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, you know, spatterings of 15 points. And then with Denver, man, he had a 19.8 rebound, 6 assist game, 31.9 rebound, 4 assist game. He had an 18 point, or he had a 19 point game in the playoffs. To me, I think added with the, his experience, his relationship with him and Anthony Davis and obviously LeBron James. And because I think at this point, sadly, even though DeMarcus is 31, Thomas Bryant is 24 because of Thomas Bryant's injury. It's almost like they probably have the same foot speed at this point. So it almost kind of levels out. So I don't know if a part of me wants to be like, I'm not going to cry if we get Thomas Bryant. I think that's a good upside swing. I I also just don't know whether if we sign Thomas Bryant, it's likely just going to be a one year minimum deal. And he's hoping to get a pay raise the next year. So he's gone one way or another, I feel like. So in that scenario, I almost want to just say, this is the one time I'm like, maybe go with the veteran guy at this point because he can also pass as well. And even though he's slow-footed now and doesn't have any any athleticism left, like he has the mental know-how and still can bang down low in the post uh, on both ends still. So, And Coach Mike Malone, Bud, and Ham trusted him. Two separate playoff teams, you know? So for me, it's like it would it would also do a good job of like – curtailing the Lakers' tendency to over-course correct and just get a bunch of 20-year-olds, you know? Even though I like the idea, again, of getting a younger guy in Thomas Bryant. But yeah, what are your thoughts on that end? And you can also extend this out to Serge Ibaka as well, but mainly DeMarcus Cousins in my eyes. It's an interesting question because DeMarcus is like more of the sure thing. And in most years, like certainly last year, if you ask me between the two, like if we were in the same situation and like we saw what happened on day one of free agency, I'd probably say Thomas Bryant, but given the, all the uncertainty, DeMarcus might actually make sense for this roster. Weirdly, it, like the weird thing is, right. I don't know how much either of them are going to play. Cause I have no idea like what kind of system, you know, we're trying to run and, and what exactly the rotations are going to look like. And like, how much are they envisioning Anthony Davis playing the five during the season? Like all of these are factors. And I guess, the one thing with DeMarcus that I worry about is, you know, how many more years is he going to keep doing this? Like, has he just resigned himself to, like, the fact that he's a floating, like, middle, like a minimum player for the rest of his career? Like, if he is sitting on a team where the only guy ahead of him is Damian Jones on the death chart, is he going to get annoyed that he's getting DNP'd? You know, like, I, so from that perspective, it's like you kind of like the young hunger that Thomas Bryant brings. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I, I don't know. I think it's, it, 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 for me, that is a true, true toss up. And I think I would bring it down to if one of these two guys is willing to take a non-guaranteed deal and come into camp and compete for their spot, I would lean that guy. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I think I'd still lean to Marcus Cousins and honestly, even Serge Ibaka, just because I know for a fact that Darvin Ham has experience working with them and implementing them. And at the end of the day, you're going to, toss those decisions up to him, right? And his and what he thinks. So if he if he wants to go with Thomas Bryant and thinks he can make make that work because all their skill sets sort of align with one another, then I'm fine with that. But just on the outs outside looking in, it to me it makes more sense to get like one of Ham's guys and also one of A D and LeBron's guys because I think we're reaching like a critical mass point, Tommy, where it's just like is LeBron also going to get annoyed that there's just a bunch of young dudes running running out there with their chicken like chickens with their heads cut off, you know? Yeah, I mean that's that's another interesting dynamic because he didn't seem to like that too much our first year when we actually had like lotto picks who had been developing for a few years in our system. I mean, you could maybe say part of that was coaching. Um Yeah. But I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, so we'll see what they do. Um, I'm expecting Thomas Bryant to be a Laker and for that we'd love for him to return. But with that said, let's take it to break first. When we return, let's get into the Kyrie Irving, uh, Kyrie Irving trade talk and where things currently stand and if we have any thoughts on what the Lakers should give up or if there are any tangential trades that may happen in conjunction with Kyrie, if, if additional pieces are coming back, et cetera, et cetera. So let's get into all, the, uh, all of our flat earth theories. All right, so we are back. Tommy, what 
is your current pulse on the Kyrie Irving trade discussions? I think last we heard, and I don't know, there are competing sort of rumors and reports. Um, I heard one report that the Lakers feel like they have most of the leverage and they don't want to even give up a first round pick, which even if you work under the premise that they do have all the leverage because Kyrie Irving can just sit the year out and walk to them in free agency, to me it seems like Joe Sy is really fed up right now of having been pushed around uh, by his superstars, and I doubt that he wants to be pushed around by other GMs who think they have more leverage than him. So I feel like we should be sensitive to the fact that this owner seems like he's on the edge and he's probably willing to do whatever he wants. Uh, A lot of this is going to be contingent on the return that he can get in a Kevin Durant trade because the Nets can't tank. And so maybe if he sees a return for Kevin Durant of actual pieces as well as draft capital that he can use, maybe then he'll be more inclined to be more proactive about trading Kyrie Irving because then it's like you see a vision for your team this year that can be competitive. So you might as well get something for Kyrie Irving. But I feel like we're in a delicate situation, like a Mexican standoff right now where it's like it's like two teams with no leverage and two guards who nobody in the league wants. It's like the weirdest standoff ever, right? But the standoff makes sense because of the context. So I, I think for me, and, I, and I've heard also rumors that the Lakers are, the trade packages right now probably surround Russell Westbrook, a first round pick, and Kyrie Irving and maybe Joe Harris. I think the net sticking point is they don't want to take on more salary than they need to, right? Because Russell Westbrook makes 47, Kyrie Irving only makes 36. Now, if they add Joe Harris... I think he makes 16 or 18 million. Then the Nets are sending out more salary than they're taking back. And I guess the Nets also have to keep in mind that if they don't want Russell Westbrook at all, they can buy him out and get some money back that way and some savings back that way as well. But I don't know if they want to be in the position to, I don't know if Joe Sai wants to be in the position to have to do any extra legwork that he needs to do. Because I still think regardless of how much leverage he's lost, and whether he even has leverage, I think he's in a position where if you piss him off, he could be like, all right, well, I'll just keep Kyrie Irving and let him expire till the end of this season and no one's happy. You know, so I think the Lakers have to play ball a little bit. Um, I, I admire them for, you know, I don't know if this is what they're doing, but I admire them for playing hardball if that is what's happening behind the scenes and for not just willy-nilly throwing out two raw dog unprotected firsts. Um, but I think at some point, look, if you want Kyrie Irving, let's get this done sooner rather than later. Again, the reason why a deal maybe hasn't been consummated yet is because it hinges on whatever happens with Kevin Durant. So maybe that's really what's going on behind the scenes. But where do you stand on this whole Kyrie Irving saga? So I think the two thing, the two trades, meaning the, the Durant trade and the eventual Kyrie trade are so intertwined. I think... yeah. You know, if you look at the numbers, and I, you know, I'm sure I could sit down and really figure out the actual math, right? But the hard cap this year, right, is 156 million, I believe. If you think about like what the most realistic option for KD is, because I think that's going to be the first domino to fall. KD is sort of like in a Kobe Bryant situation when he demanded his trade back in 2004 or whatever that was. Like he wants to be, or 2007, he wants to be traded. But he doesn't want to be traded in a trade that's going to like decimate the, you know, team that he's going to. I don't know what arrangement he has with Josai, but Josai seems very accommodating to Katie. So maybe this was part of their like, quote unquote, partnership or whatever when they all agreed to sign on together with the Nets. Um, but like for example, like. Katie doesn't want to go to the Heat. I, there were some reports this morning. Katie doesn't want to go to the Heat unless. You know, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, and Kyle Lowry are going to be there. So it's like, okay, well, how do you make that trade happen? You can't really do it. The interesting thing is his number one preference seems to be the Suns. That's one fact. Number two fact is the Suns are out of conference, which a team trading a player like KD always wants to trade the guy out of conference. And number three is the Suns can actually make a trade that could give the Nets substantial assets for a guy like KD without decimating their core of 
you know, Booker and uh, Chris Paul. And the reason is they were going to lose DeAndre Ayton for any, for, you know, for, they were probably going to lose him anyway. And so now they had like, you know, KD kind of rolls up and they found themselves in the situation where they can trade DeAndre Ayton. They could trade Mikhail Bridges and they can trade a boatload of picks. And it's hard to imagine a team in the NBA that can make that kind of offer without decimating their core group. And, but again, all of this sort of hinges on a DeAndre Ayton sign and trade. And to go back to that hard cap number of 156, the Nets are currently sitting at 161. If they do some trade with DeAndre Ayton coming in at 30 million, let's say, right, which is less than his max, but let's just call it 30. And they do Mikhail Bridges at $20 million. They're actually taking in more salary than they're sending out, and they can't do that because they're going to be hard capped. So I think the consequence here, and you've sort of seen this alluded to in other uh, – in maybe some tweets this morning, is that Kyrie Irving has to be traded. And it, not only does he have to be traded, but they either need to have less money coming back in on the Kyrie trade – or they need to package Kyrie with a guy like Joe Harris or Seth Curry or somebody like that to dump additional salary so that they can accept uh, DeAndre Ayton, hard cap themselves, and continue to move forward. I know this is there's like a lot of assumptions sort of built into this, but if you view it from with like that foundation, I think it starts to sort of you can sort of see the pieces sort of lining up, and I think that's where the Kyrie and Joe Harris for Russ. Uh, rumor comes in because Kyrie and Joe Harris going out is 56 million going out and Russ is 47 million coming in. Now the question becomes, do the Nets want to deal with the headache that's going to be Russ and just buy him out? Or do they want to try to see what third teams can get involved and then maybe get those assets instead? But in any event, they're going to have to be taking in less than they are sending out in that trade. And so I think like, you know, to your point about Josiah not wanting to get pushed around, I think once he sees a Kevin Durant trade that, you know, just spitballing, but potentially brings you back former number one pick, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, and four first round picks, probably all unprotected, and maybe some swaps. Like, you maybe you start to feel a little bit looser with what you're going to do with Kyrie. I mean, these reports have come out that Kyrie needs to be salary ballast, and everyone just sort of glosses over it. It's like, why would Kyrie need to be salary ballast if you already have 44 million and KD yeah. going out? And the only reason Kyrie would need to be quote unquote salary ballast is if the Nets are thinking, well, we need to. We, we are going to be hard-capped when we do our KD trade because we're taking back Aiden. So we have to figure out something for KD – or excuse me, for Kyrie. So I'm sort of in the camp of like I would still put in a pick. I mean like look, I, I don't think we actually need to. And, and I don't want to get into this like leverage game of who technically has the most leverage. But I do think we have, the more, we have more leverage. And I don't think we have to trade a first-rounder to do it. But – in the interest of getting a deal done and making everybody pleased, I would do it because this move would be so dramatically, you know, altering for like the future of our franchise, certainly for next season, but at least for the last two years of LeBron's career with us. Um, it, it would just be so like, it would change things so much that it would be worth it to just throw in the pick, maybe even one swap. I don't know if I would draw the line there and, and then, and then just sort of figure it out. And I kind of wonder if they think that they, in principle, have some sort of deal with the Nets. And maybe, like, they're figuring out the third team or who takes Russ or whatever. Because if you think about how they approach this year's free agency, I mean, last year we went all shooters. And, like, but we did – we signed a few guys who were maybe more specialists, like Kent Bazemore and whatever. This year it seems like we went all in 100% defense. And they were like McMenamin was on ESPN yesterday. Theoretical defense. And McMenamin was on ESPN yesterday and said the Lakers just wanted to add exclusively wings. They think they can get shooting through a trade. And I think the only way that makes sense is if you're trading Russ for multiple shooters or Russ and THT for multiple shooters, for example. So – you know, I, I I really do wonder if there is some sort of multi-team, like, huge-scale trade that's sort of being worked out. Um, of course, like, one thing that could throw all this for a loop in my theory is if DeAndre Ayton gets traded to, like, Utah or something, right? But um, – because they've been linked to him recently. But, you know, it, it all seems very, very interconnected, and you sort of feel like 
I don't want to say it's inevitable because I don't want to jinx it, but you do sort of feel like it's inevitable. And I know that was a very long explanation, but that's the, these thoughts have just sort of been going through my mind like over the last day or so. So I, I don't know. I'm curious to hear your thoughts too. No, I mean, everything you said makes sense. Uh, Phoenix is one of Kevin Durant's preferred destinations. It remains to be seen though, whether again, I, I don't know if the Nets actually want DeAndre Ayton and they want to hard cap themselves because they re-signed Claxton. They have Ben Simmons. That doesn't seem... Those three don't make sense to me. So I still feel like they're going to survey the landscape of the entire league. And given the fact that the Minnesota Timberwolves just freaking gave up like five first-round picks, yeah. Um, if I'm the Nets and I'm bleeding picks and all of my future drafts are going to be controlled by the Houston Rockets or some other team, I want to hedge the middle and not only get a DeAndre Ayton-type player, but get back you know, multiple firsts as well. And so I think they're really going to, I mean, Kevin Durant only has so much control, you know, he's on a four year deal. So, but I will say, right. Like that I think is, is the totally rational way to look at, look at all this stuff. He is on four more years guaranteed, fully guaranteed. He has to theoretically play. I just think the thing that's changed in this player empowerment era is that like guys, especially a guy like Katie has been bouncing, who's bounced around so many times. Like, they are fully, fully willing to just be a jackass to everybody, right? Like he demanded a trade, but like he, you know, he's got his his guy, his team, and whoever like telling Oklahoma City, who has twenty first round picks in the next three years, like, look, I know you guys can technically trade ten first rounders for KD and and Shea Gilgis Alexander, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander and ten first rounders for KD, but like, I'm just telling you right now, if you do that, KD will like not play or make your life a nice a nightmare. And so I think there although that is like the angle of that I think if I was the Brooklyn Nets I would use it, it, you know and sort of put out there that well Katie doesn't have control and blah, blah 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 and that's why we have all this leverage and we can get whatever we want but like at the end of the day I I do think that they are going to ship him to a team where he wants to go. And this by the way predates the maybe current modern uh, player empowerment era like when we were trading Shaq if you recall, like back in 2004, on his short list of teams, I can't remember who the West Con- Western Conference team, it was Dallas. Mavericks, he was like, yeah. yeah, I would rather, I would go to Dallas or I'd go to Miami. And we sent him to Miami to get him out of conference and sort of all the same rationale I ran through with the KD stuff. So I think there is some of that happening. I mean, I agree with you that I don't know that they necessarily want Aiden or whatever. Maybe they are flipping him to a like maybe Utah that's how Utah gets involved like they take Aiden and then they send some of these like 100 picks they got for Rudy Gobert to uh you know maybe one of those goes to the Nets I don't I don't know but um I think that uh these things are all linked and this is going to be like a when we see the final results of this trade I think it's going to be like the craziest blockbuster in NBA history yeah, I will just say the unique part about this, though, and everything you said about, you know, KD and player empowerment and want to, wanting to play nice with the players and the agents and meeting people in the middle all makes sense. The one caveat I'd throw out there is I feel like Joe Sai has been pushed to the edge. Like, he hates these motherfuckers, you know what I mean? And that could be the one sticking point where it's like, I don't care what anybody says. I, like, for the last two years, you have had me in a stranglehold and we've done everything to cater to you, idiots, you know? From letting you sit out and then bringing you back in, like all this stuff. And I just feel like he's at a point where if he can get a better deal, and even if it's on Katie's list, like rung six, he'll ship him there, you know? So that's my only angle, but I don't want to stick on the KD thing because even though it's tied to the Kyrie everything, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts more on you know, what What do you think about bringing Kyrie Irving back? Because as we're recording, McMenamin apparently just reported that the Lakers could get Joe Harris back in a Kyrie deal. And in that event, the Lakers would probably need to include THT, which kind of goes against what we were saying earlier about the Nets needing to take back less salary. Because in this situation, if it's THT and Russell Westbrook, that is $57 million going out. And then Joe Harris and Kyrie Irving is... 18 plus 36, that's 54. So right. the Nets would actually be getting more salary back in, although you factor in the buyout with Westbrook and maybe it all shakes out. But Or like, yeah, and who knows what they're going to do with Seth or whatever. Right. Or maybe Aiden is not the, you know, if the Nets don't, if Aiden is involved in this trade in, in some respect, but the Nets don't receive him, then they, they don't hard cap themselves also. Yeah, so like, what are your thoughts on getting back a Joe Harris in a Kyrie Irving trade? Because... 
I think you'd agree, regardless of what happens with Kyrie or whatever, it, it, it surely feels like Russell Westbrook has gone one way or another because yeah. this roster makes no freaking sense with Russell Westbrook still here. We have no shooting whatsoever, Tommy. I think Wenyan Gabriel is one of our best shooters. That's That doesn't make sense. Um, and so getting a Joe Harris, getting a modern-day NBA point guard who can space the floor in Kyrie Irving is so essential to greasing the wheels of making this team make functional sense. And then let's say THT isn't included in, in this deal. What are your thoughts on a separate deal with THT and none going to the Indiana Pacers, who now have a bunch of cap space? They're probably going to be looking at DeAndre Ayton. But if they don't get that deal done, they probably want to get off Buddy Heald. So, you know, maybe you swing the Kyrie Irving trade on one end and then also trade THT and Nunn for Buddy Heald on the other end. I think that's selling low on THT and Nunn, to be honest. But, I mean, in order to make this roster make sense for this next year, Buddy Heald, Kyrie Irving, and then the slew of potential defenders you got, young legs and stuff, that is the start of something that makes more intuitive sense to me. But but yeah, what are your thoughts on getting back Joe Harris and then maybe like an ancillary trade on the side to get more shooting? Yeah, I mean, um, it's all so crazy and it's so much to kind of wrap your head around. But I think, I mean, what you're saying is the only thing that makes sense. They must think that they know they can turn Russ and THT, who are like main assets we can kind of trade, and turn those guys or take those guys and turn them into multiple shooters. And like I said, it just doesn't add up on a team where you've been saying all summer, you know, we are going to keep Russell Westbrook to commit to signing four guys who none of which are really better than meh shooters, I would say. And then keeping THT who's like a ball kind of dominant guy who I love THT. I think he still has a ton of upside, but frankly, I think like, you know, we've, we've talked about the relationship between the Lakers and clutch. And I wouldn't be surprised if clutch was like, it's LeBron's last two years, eighties here. They're going to get more stars. It's Lakers. They're always going to get stars. Like maybe in a contract year for THT, it's best for both parties to send him somewhere else where he can sort of spread his wings. Right. And yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And so I think like, Turning those guys, meaning Russ and THT, into like three shooters, all of a sudden dramatically changes how I feel about like this entire roster. Because first of all, you're you're swapping two guys for three guys who are going to be like real depth NBA players, rotation players. But you're also adding like theoretically two or three shooters, right? Between like you're, you're looking at uh, Kyrie, you're looking at maybe a Buddy Hill, like you mentioned. You're looking at Joe Harris, maybe Seth Curry's on on the Nets, obviously, and like. You know, if you can get like two or three from that group for the 54, uh, for excuse me, 57 million going out in Russ and THT, now your roster really starts to make sense because you have your three stars, which is like the thing we want to do for some reason. And then you have um, your depth role players who are going to just run and you basically sign a bunch of six, five guys with six, 10 wingspans and hope that one or two of them hit. And then, you know, you just sort of, and then you have your shooting. And so now it's like, oh, okay, I see where this is, what the, what the overall like roster configuration plan was. But I mean, the crazy thing, right, is we've thought so much about this and we think that we've sort of logic our way into a solution and like what the Lakers are actually thinking. But the the reality might be they don't have any, they haven't thought about any of this. And maybe they're thinking like, well, we'll, we'll either trade Russ for Kyrie and Joe Harris, or we won't do anything. You know what I mean? It, it, it could be like that simple from their perspective. Or if we, you know, if we don't do that, we'll trade THT none, um, and went in for, uh, to match salaries for buddy. Um, which I think or, I agree with you is sort of selling low, but yeah, go ahead. So I think they could also do the amended deal of if the Pacers don't do anything with their cap space, Tommy, they can, they can just take Russell Westbrook on too, take back more oh, salary. Okay. Yeah. And, um, in that sense, you know, We've gone so far down this rabbit hole already with this roster, I feel like, that it would be silly to, even if you're not getting Kyrie Irving, to withhold a first-round pick from a team to dump Russell Westbrook and get back a Buddy Heald plus some luxury tax cap savings, right? In my opinion. So even if right. it is, like, I, I, and it, it, it may be more realistic that it's THT and none going out, but I'm just saying, like, 
I don't think we can move forward with this team and the roster that we've constructed this offseason with Russell Westbrook still there, you know? It just Yeah. So, if the if the Kyrie Irving thing falls through, you're going to have to pivot and still use that first round pick to dump Russell Westbrook to any other team that still has cap space to take him on if they're willing to take him on. Although at this point, I don't know, you know, like you could be pinched and some team could be blackballing you like the Pacers because they know you don't have any <laughs> yeah, other options dude. left. And so Exactly. And that's where it gets kind of tricky with all this stuff because free agency is actively happening around us, right? And it's like, yeah, we got those four guys committed yesterday. Yeah, we used our taxpayer MLE, which is like the, was like the main tool that we had. But we are holding open roster spots, and I don't think it's a coincidence. Like, as more guys continue to come off the board, and some guys, especially today, tomorrow, et cetera, will continue to come off the board for the veteran minimum, we need to hold these spots because we don't know what's going to happen in a Kyrie trade. Like, are we going to send two guys out and get three guys back? You know, yes. so do we need to keep spots open for that? Like, what are the what's the nature of the players we're going to get? Are we going to get all guards? Are we going to get like some wings? Are we going to get maybe a big man somehow emerges? I, like you just don't know. So it, 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 you know, it's in everyone's best interest all around the league, frankly, to just sort this out so that teams can start moving forward and, and building around the fringes. Yeah. Stop holding up my Juancho Hernan Gomez deal. My God. Uh, that's yeah. the only thing I care about. Um, but as it pertains to bringing in Kyrie Irving, I think, you know, it goes without stating the synergy between him, AD, and LeBron James and the skill sets they all have. It's It'll be very fun to watch. And I think the most important thing, and you alluded to it earlier, is just that we would begin to actually start setting a foundation this year into next year and have a more unified, clear vision and plan for 2023 that no longer revolves around this you know, vague, ethereal, white elephant cap space plan in the room. You know what I mean? It's like, no, we got Kyrie Irving now. We've got a guy, our third guy who takes up that cap space. Now, how do we fill out the edges and start to build an actual long-sustaining team who can hinge themselves on some semblance of consistency, continuity, and identity. And that's what bringing in Kyrie Irving now would do. So even playing this hardball thing and saying, ah, we'll wait for Kyrie Irving and free agency in 2023, it's like, is LeBron James going to be there? You know? So, like, you got to keep that into account, too. Like, getting Kyrie Irving probably means LeBron signs an extension. I know some people don't want that to happen. But, I mean, that's the reality of it. And if Kyrie Irving comes, we have a shot especially with everything that happens in the NBA and all the things that can occur in the course of a season, you got to give yourself that chance and that shot. So it will be very interesting to see what happens over the course of 4th, 4th of July weekend. It's crazy that we're here. I'm sure they'll want to resolve it sooner rather than later, but we will try and keep our fingers to the pulse of everything that's going on. But at this point, I think you're excited for Kyrie Irving, right? Kyrie, LeBron, and AD and... He's I mean, yeah, look, it, it's still a risk. That's the crazy thing is, like, Kyrie somehow has made himself the second least attractive asset in like, the entire league, only, you know, ahead of Russell Westbrook, basically. So it's 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 just such a better fit on paper um, to have Kyrie with LeBron and AD compared to Russ. We saw, like, Russ was a wonky fit before we even saw the result. And once, like, seeing the result, I mean, there's no denying that it's just completely absurd. Like, to think that you could just roll it back out and things are going to change is is just is just insane. Um, so, yes, I, I would be a little bit more optimistic for sure. I think the West is becoming the power conference again, um, which is interesting, but... Golden State lost their primary initiating defender in Gary Payton the second, so Kyrie Irving would run circles around them. So that's fun. I yeah, <laughs> I mean they did. They also lost Otto Porter. I mean, they, but they have all these young guys they're yeah, developing, yeah. right? And then, but like Minnesota got better. Obviously, the Clippers, if Kawhi and Paul George are healthy, are going to be like a problem for every team. If KD goes to the Suns, I mean they're going to be like insane, right? So it's like all these teams are sort of improving, and I feel like in this in this context, getting Kyrie is really our only chance to even be competitive for a top four spot. And then once you get there, you just sort of, you just sort of hope that LeBron and AD and Kyrie's greatness can carry you. Well, one thing that I just thought of is if we're able to swing Kyrie Irving and none and THT are still here, I think that's the point where I wouldn't force a trade for a shooter. And 
this is semi-risky, but I think actually having Kyrie Irving and Kendrick Nunn to back him up is actually a very formidable guard crop in tandem that I'd yeah. like to see happen and work. And even just keeping THT to see what Darvin Ham can do with his length, it's like, I think if there were any players to hold on to and see if you can trade them down the line later and take a wait-and-see approach, I think it would be none in THT yes. versus just willy-nilly, hey, here's Buddy Heald, he's shooting, it's going to work, right? It's like, no, I, I think Kendrick Nunn can actually be very valuable, you know? THT may be less so just because of the context and the development curve that he has to undergo, but it, that's still also a nice piece that you can go into the season and even if he is, he does have a wonky skill set, he does have familiarity with your organization and your system. So it's not like you'd be wasting essential continuity time, even if you hold on to him, you know? So I'd almost be inclined to, you get Kyrie Irving, if you don't have to surrender any of those other guys and you're just surrendering first round picks, I'd almost take a wait and see approach if you can't get a deal that you actually like, especially if you're getting, you know, a Joe Harris back, you know? So it, it, all these interesting permutations are out there. Uh, we'll get into them as more things concretize and materialize. But for now, we'll leave it right here. Um, we'll see what happens next week and whether a deal gets done. But we hope everybody has a great 4th of July weekend. And uh, maybe we'll see fireworks. The actual literal kind or the figurative kind as it pertains to the Lakers and the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. And Juancho Hernan Gomez, Thomas Bryant, DeMarcus Cousins, Utah Watanabe, please come on down. So... Uh, you know, if the earth was was round, you wouldn't be able to see the fireworks. So that's a... Oh, next level think? thinking right there. You ever think about that? No, I just literally thought about it. My mind's going... Like fireworks. So, all right. Have a good 4th of July. See ya. Peace. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.